today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians 13. The last time we covered the Apostle Paul's well-known heavenly experience, and today we're going to see the Apostle Paul's parting words as he prepares uh, to visit the Corinthian church for the third time, starting with verse 1. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul says, this will be the third time I am coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before and foretell as if I were present the second time, and now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, Yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. So the Apostle Paul gives a stern uh, warning to a faction of the Corinthians who were still sinning to repent prior to his third visit to them. And he quotes an Old Testament passage, way deep back into the law, Deuteronomy 19.15, that says that an, an accusation of sin necessitates two or three witnesses. And I've covered before, when, uh, before there were crime scene investigators and you know, fingerprint technology and camera phones and uh, video cameras, the way you would establish if something happened was with credible, reliable witnesses, and certainly the more witnesses, the better, uh, so the person couldn't be railroaded. And Jesus also speaks about this in Matthew 18, the different witnesses, the different levels of um, uh, punishment or discipline because of sin. Some in the Corinthian church had to be dealt with decisively. And why does Paul use this? Well, uh, we know that uh, there were at least three witnesses. Chloe's household told the Apostle Paul some problems in the church. We know that Timothy went there. We know Titus went there. So you got at least three witnesses. Um, this will be the third visit, and uh, certainly they had at least three warnings. And this equals no more chances. We can apply this to many situations in our lives, too. Many relationships, and even on both sides. We continue to show grace. The Calvary Chapel model is to show grace, to bear with people, to think the better, to forgive. But at some point, discipline, correction, and behavior modification may be in order. Anything more than that, to just let something go on and on and on is a perversion of grace. Now, we should also look at this from the standpoint of where do I fit in? It's great to hear the sermon for your spouse. It's great to hear the sermon for your kids. For your coworkers, I wish my boss heard this, okay? I wish my neighbor heard this message. But what a, a travesty it would be is if we didn't say to ourselves, that's a good message, and I'm also convicted. Maybe I should stop this behavior. Maybe I should stop sinning. Maybe I'm part of the problem, and we need to look at that. You know, no one ever enjoys breaking fellowship with another believer, but sometimes it's necessary. And even as a pastor, the needs of the body have to outweigh the needs of the individual. And that's what's wrong with our society. And you see it with all these lawsuits. I mean, other countries look at us as very litigious. You can see the, the statistics on lawsuits. We're lawsuit crazy in this country. And basically, 
what a lot of lawsuits are frivolous and they're designed to look out for the individual over the needs of the many. So you can come here from another country and you might be an atheist or you may not buy the whole Judeo-Christian value system and then the fall comes and then uh, you know Christmas and Hanukkah and the person's offended by the Star of David. They're offended by uh, the Christian insignias. So what do they do? They find a lawyer who's willing to take their case and because a one person is offended, boom, they got to be removed. And that's what we have in our society. And we, that kind of stuff creeps into the church. It's all about me. I don't care that this is good for everyone else in the church, but I have a problem with it, right? And that's something to look at. Verse 3 and 4, Paul says, Since you seek proof, a faction of the rebellious uh, Corinthians were constantly prodding Paul to prove himself, that he was an apostle. And his response is this, We'll prove ourselves by emulating Jesus. And you can never go wrong when you emulate Jesus Christ, who is weak in, in, in appearance, in a sense, but was mighty towards you. It only appeared that Jesus was weak when he died on the cross. It actually showed strength. See, the Roman soldiers would overpower crucifixion victims because they knew what was waiting for them. It was very painful form of capital punishment but you had enough soldiers get together they could overpower the person and nail them to the cross in Jesus's case he went willingly he told many times to the disciples and others his followers I've come into this world to die that was his main purpose to sacrifice his life for your sins and my sins right so God's truths are often opposite what we think in other words it showed great strength Jesus could have broken free from that Jesus with his power as the son of God, he did miracles, he raised the dead, he could have found his way out of getting crucified, but he willingly laid down his life. And you know, you, have you ever had a situation where somebody challenges you physically or says something that gets your fur up, right? And then the adrenaline starts pumping, you can feel it, and your heart's racing, and you're breathing heavy, and your voice is cracking, right? It's an adrenaline rush because it's that fight or flight response. To actually bring it back down, and to overpower it so you don't react in words or physically takes a lot more strength than to give in to your, uh, your impulses. And Jesus showed great strength in what he did. Paul says basically, you know, we may be weak in the physical realm, but if need be, when we get to Corinth, like Jesus, we will come in the power of God. The power of God. And it's open to all of us, you see. Oftentimes, who stops us? from having the power of God in our lives. Is it God? No. Is it others? No. It's often ourselves. We often, because we don't fully give ourselves to the Lord, we limit ourselves. But it's, it's available to every believer. And uh, it's kind of funny because Paul was going to be brave. He was going to go right into the lion's den and deal with these folks in the power of God. A funny personal story in my life, a friend of mine Let's just say, okay, my, a friend of mine talked to me. To, he said, you got to meet this guy that I play football with. He plays adult football. He was a, a mammoth of a man, definitely twice my size, right? And let's just say his name is Bob, but it's not Bob <laughs> because I don't want to slip, all right? And he said, you got to meet, and they called him Crazy Bob because he was a lunatic on the football field. So I go to meet pra uh, Crazy Bob, and he's sitting there, and um, supposedly he wants to hear about God's word. So I'm starting to talk to him, and he keeps cutting me off. And he keeps interjecting these wild ideas about spiritual things, but he's way off base. And I'm thinking, he's crazy Bob. I'm not going to push the issue too much. <laughs> so after a while, I just couldn't take it anymore. 
And I told them, now listen, I listen to you, now be quiet and listen to what I have to say. And I started telling the truths of God's word. Mm -hmm. And I ended up pausing to see what his response is, and he kind of looked at me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, this is the part where he tears me limb from limb and beats me with my own arm, right? <laughs> he looked at me, he put out his big catcher's mitt of a hand and shook my hand and said, that was beautiful. <laughs> yeah, it was really neat. He was just a docile guy, but he just, in the physical realm, he was pretty daunting. <laughs> but the bottom line is, you know, there will be situations in our lives where we will just have the power of God. We will overcome the fear. We will overcome the trepidation. We will overcome things in our lives because of God's power. And again, that is open to all of us. Paul may not have been much to look at physically, according to biblical and non-biblical sources, but he certainly was going to get down there and give out a a spiritual whooping. (laughs) And discipline is love. I remember, um, and I don't blame my parents, but I grew up in divorce, and it was rough. I didn't see my dad a lot, and discipline really was lacking and I kind of you know I lived on both sides of the fence I kind of went a little wild but um, when there was someone who would uh, come to me or someone who would come into my life even my stepfather and he would put his foot down it would show me that he loved me because we always try to test especially as children sometimes as adults we we seek negative attention to see if the person will love us enough to confront us in discipline showing that they care I'll leave this I'll leave it with this a Chinese proverb that says parents who are afraid to put their foot down usually have children who step on their toes. Verse 5. This is an eye-opener. He says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Prove yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Question mark. Unless indeed you are disqualified. So this is an eye-opener. Examine. Prove yourselves as to whether you are in the faith because you may be disqualified. Now, that original Greek word actually has a little bit more gusto, a little bit more power to it. That word is, unless you be worthless, unless you be reprobate, or unless you be unapproved after a test. And the cool thing is, we're constantly given choices in the scripture. Starting from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, we're given choices. God commands us to do things. God commands us to follow him. God tells us, he gives us conditional statements. If you do well, things will go well with you. If you do not do well and you fall away and whore after other gods, well, this is what's waiting for you, right? But the good thing is we're always given the opportunity to repent, to turn, to change our ways. And the Apostle Paul, you know, it wasn't a, a quick flight on a, 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 you know, a, an airplane to get over to Corinth. It took quite a ways to get there. So he certainly gave them plenty of time to change their ways and change their behavior. But that's a good point. The question is, is Christ in you? We, should ask, we can ask that question, right? The Bible's applicable 2,000 years later. Is Christ in me? The Apostle Paul says, because I'll tell you, we're not disapproved. We know that Christ is in us. Is Christ in you? Honest, legitimate questions to ask. Ask ourselves, am I in the faith? Am I saved? What does it mean? After 2 Corinthians, I want to jump into 1 John which I'm really excited to teach. It's a whole different flavor, a whole different uh, perspective from the disciple John's uh, you know, outlook. And that really gives us a good idea about the deeper things of God. Am I saved? What does it mean to be saved? It means that when we come to God, when we look at his word, when we see that he is truth, and we see that we have sinned, and we have all sinned and fallen short in the glory of God, we have a choice to make. 
Will we repent? Will we change our ways? Will we make an effort? Will we call the life that I've lived up to this point unto meeting God not pleasing to him? Will we repent and turn towards them and make every effort to, to live that life that he has called us to live? But where does that leave growing up in a Christian home? Points? We get points for that at the end? No points. Where does that leave? Well, my parents sent me to Christian school all my life. We get any points for that in the judgment? No points. Oh, I go to church where fire and brimstone is preached, right? Sometimes Pastor Joe can be a little edgy, you know? Um, no points for that. I'm a Baptist all my life. No points. I've been in a Calvary Chapel all my life. No points. So we get all those things at the end of the day. We still have goose egg. We have zero, right? See, we don't card the Lord when we get into heaven. We don't show him our shiny denominational card and he says, whoa, come on right in. It doesn't work like that. It's a personal relationship. No more can we be a Christian because we were born into a Christian family than if I was born into a family of plumbers makes me a plumber. Once the stuff starts to leak, I'm not going to know what to do because I haven't gone through the training. I haven't, you know, been one with the pipes or anything like that, you know? <laughs> But these are questions. And I know I can answer yes, and it's not an arrogance. I'll read to you in, in a moment, First John 5, like Paul said, we're not disqualified, are you? And if we really have a walk with the Lord, if we really trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior, we can answer that affirmatively too. The Bible tells us too, to know it, right? Do I love Jesus? What did Jesus say about loving him? John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll follow my word. Do I follow his word? Do I, do I try to follow his word? Is it in my heart? Jesus says, those that hate me, in one translation, they don't follow my word. They reject it. Do I love the brethren? Faith without works is dead. Do I have dead faith or do I really care about serving the Lord? Um, do I do the bare minimum to be known as a Christian because I like the church and it's really neat socially? And they have potlucks and they're going to have barbecues and that's really neat. I like that. Acts 17.30 says, Paul says, in the past, God has overlooked some of this ignorance, but now, these days, no more. God calls all men everywhere to repent, and it's good to repent if we've done something wrong. There's no shame in repentance. Repentance is a good thing. The shame is to continue going in the life we're going when we know it's the wrong way to go. But Paul's saying we're not disqualified. I want to read 1 John 5.12 there are a lot of religions, even you know, some of these new teachings that they say it's presumptuous to know. It's the sin of presumptuous if you say, well, I know that I'm going to heaven. 1 John 5.12, or 5 starting with 11. And John says, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has eternal life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have eternal life. These things I have written to you, why? So that you will believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. I don't know about you, but I find comfort in that. I can know it and I continue to believe it and continue to know it, right? Eternal security of the saints. And I have to say this. Do you know the Son? Only you, I can't answer that question for you. Only you can. Do you want to know the Son? Do you want to have that opportunity to get to know the Son? 
right? It's available to everyone. And this kind of kills the idea. I know I'm going to get heat for this because I've heard this over and over again. This whole, let's just go back to the Corinthian problem. This whole um, idea of church is a hospital. Church is not a hospital. That's not scriptural. All that does is it coddles. It's a coddling mentality that continues to breed self-delusion and bad behavior. You see, a hospital is a place you go to when you're in dire straits. And you have no choice but to go to the emergency room, right? Something has to be removed from you or a treatment. And then you get mended and you leave the hospital and you don't come back until something bad happens to you again. More scripturally is... (laughs) I saw some head shaking. (laughs) I love it. I love animation, you know? It's so cool. (laughs) It's more scriptural to look at the Bible, to look at our walks and our lives as, as if we're going into the military, right? Spiritual battle, seriously. What happens at boot camp? You come to boot camp, you have your look, you have your individuality, you have your self, you know, your, your self-absorbed self comes into boot camp. What do they do? They break you down. They remove the self from you and they show you it's not all about you. You all get the same uh, haircuts, you all get the drab green uniforms, and you work together and you become cohesive. And that's what starts to happen. You learn that it's not all about you. If you ever watch some of these history channels, the Navy SEALs, I mean, you know what? One thing I really don't like is deep water. I mean, I can deal with a lot of stuff, but I'm not a fan of deep water. And these guys, they just exhaust them. They make them go underwater. They they make them go days without sleeping. And you see them. I've seen the footage at the end. I mean, they're, they're in the water on the beach, and one guy, just he's just exhausted. And the other seals, they're locked arm in arm, and they hold him up so he doesn't drown. That's cohesiveness. And that's what we learn when we're believers. We learn that it's not all about us, that it's the body of Christ collectively. And the body can't function as a unit if we're not all in harmony with each other. Right? And that's what we learn. We also see that the boot camp gets us ready for battle. Remember, when you become a believer, you get conscripted into the Lord's army, right? You fight those spiritual battles. Now, some, of course, have taken this in the wrong direction. Uh, Was it a month ago they caught all these supposed Christian terrorists who were going to blow up police stations and things of that nature? They totally missed the point of what the Bible is saying there, okay? But we're conscripted into the Lord's army, and we understand that we can't win our battles alone, Right? And we also see that our spiritual armor, the gear that we get, comes from the Lord. Right? The cohesiveness, the gear, working as a unit, right? The allegiance to the organization, of course, in this case would be God over self. And and those are good pictures there. Verse seven. It says, Now I pray to God that you do no evil, not that we should appear approved, but that you should do what is honorable, though we may seem disqualified, for we can do nothing against the truth. But for the truth, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. And this also we pray that you may be made complete. Therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification and not for destruction. He says, we pray that you do no evil, but not because it makes us, you know, Paul saying, your mentors look good. Hey, make us look good, walk strong so that we could look good. He's saying, he's saying absolutely not. It's not about appearances, right? And sometimes in the American church, we can get caught up in appearances. Listen, we're all allowed to have bad days. You don't think the pastor has bad days at times? 
right? It's not about appearances. It's what's going on on the inside. It's not about putting on a show. He says, do what is honorable. In the Greek, the word uh, has other synonyms. Do what is beautiful. Do what is valuable. Do what is virtuous. And these things come with being in Christ. And understand that we can only, if we're faking it to please somebody else, we can only fake it for so long. Because if it's not happening on the inside, eventually we'll, we'll collapse. You know, trying to put on a show, trying to put on a mask, it doesn't work. Remember um, Warren Wearsby, preacher and author, talked about a young man in, the youth, in his youth ministry. And he got caught up in some controversies here, and everybody assumed, though, he was saved. Uh, and one day, you know, very talented, very talented musically. And one day, you know, at some, some point in time, they had some type of uh, evangelistic uh, camp. And he went to it as one of the leaders, so to speak. And uh, the message was preached, and it was powerful, and he actually came up to receive the Lord, and everyone was shocked. They assumed that this kid was saved, but he had a complete life change. He really got it at that moment. So that's pretty neat. And John 3 is awesome. Jesus says of the Holy Spirit, you can see the effects. It's like the wind. You can see where it, uh, the effects of the wind, but you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. You can only see the, the effects of it, and that's like the Holy Spirit. But don't be deceived. Paul says, do it for your own sakes and your own salvation, not for ours. It's your walk. And I have to say this. Um, you know, sometimes I, I think I have my message together, and I think I, I got it all done. It's all ready. I print it up on Word, you know, do my color coding, and I'm done. But I remember as I was finishing my message, the Lord really impressed upon me to go in a different direction. And what, what I feel or what I believe the Lord was showing me was to really hit this part about pretending. And we have to ask ourselves that. Am I pretending? Am I trying to fake my way through it? Am I doing it to try to please someone else, perhaps a family member? And, you know, if, again, that pretending thing, that faking thing only works so long, and then it, the, the house of cards starts to fall. So if there's anybody here, you know, maybe the Lord's working on you. Again, it's not, it's not to call you to shame. It's to say, really walk with the Lord. Really repent of pretending and trying to please others and really walk because it's your walk and not somebody else's. Paul goes on, I would rather basically that you look honorable at the expense of us being disqualified, right? He, he even said at one, one point in scripture, it was a Romans 9, where he said that he would be accursed for Israel's sake. He loved his fellow Jews. He loved his brethren so much that he said, I would be accursed if, if the whole nation could come to salvation. So even though Paul was tough, you could see where his heart was. He had a big heart. And verse 8, he says, we can do nothing against the truth. We only serve to live God, or we only live to serve God backwards and abide by his truths, and we will display the same type of behavior towards you. And verse 9, he says, basically, it's fine if it turns out that we are weak, his ministry team, so that you could be strong. They went through a lot, Paul and his ministry team. They gave their lives up for the whole you know, service of God. And there were many times where they sacrificed themselves so others could have. And if they were weak and the Corinthians grew very strong, uh, he felt that that was a blessing. And that's a picture of somebody who really loves the person they're discipling. When they would allow themselves to go without or allow themselves harm so that the person they're discipling can grow spiritually. And that's what was happening here. And verse 10, it's pretty sharp. 
Uh, he says, therefore, I write these things being absent, lest being present, I should use sharpness according to the authority which the Lord has given me for edification, building up, and not for destruction. So the letter's coming to a close, and bam, he says, sharpness may be needed. Why? Because Paul was intolerant, because he had a short fuse, because he was a hothead? Absolutely not. It was for their own good. When you look at the original word sharpness in the Greek, it's actually a composite word. It actually has uh, two elements to it. The first part is to cut, and the second part is away. And I think of cutting off a tumor from the body. Um, several years back, I had a, a lipoma on my ribs, and I ignored it. And after 10 years, it got to be the size of like a, a plum. And the doctor says, I think we should take that off. So I was like, you know, I wanted to be awake for it. And it was kind of neat because he's talking to me as he's opening, me, opening up and cutting. And there's like a cauterizing tool. And it, it smells like barbecue because it's fat and stuff. <laughs> I probably didn't have to go into that much detail to make my point. <laughs> but the point is, if it was a, a, a malignant tumor, it would cause me pain to cut it out. It would cause me a healing process to get better. It would cause me some discomfort, but it would have to be removed so that the body could live. And this is what we're looking at here, right? He says, I may have to use sharpness. It may be so that the body will live, to cut out certain cancers or leavens or false doctrines that were coming through the church or behaviors. And there are some things in our lives that we may need to cut away. Because if we don't get to it, the Bible says that God loves us so much that he'll do it for us eventually. He will discipline us. Now, let me ask you a question, and only you can answer this question, and please don't call out. <laughs> what comes to your mind when I speak of things that may have to be cut away? Just take a moment. In my life, what is it that I could really cut out? And for most of us, something gets plastered right to, to the frontal lobe of our brain when I ask that question. And for many of us, it may be different things. Could be something in my personality. Could be something I'm making an idol out of. It could be behavior. Have I just always been looking for attention? Everywhere I go, I look for attention, even if it's negative attention, right? Could it be uh, things that are dragging me down, and I know it's stifling my relationship with God? What is it that I need to cut out of my life? Is it persistent worry? Is it persistent... I'm in the Christian community, but um, I really don't trust God because it shows in my actions. Constant worry, constant fear. The Bible doesn't call us to that. Right? What is it? Understand, Paul's boldness was from the authority from God, Okay, when he's saying these things. And he says, I did it to you, not to destroy you, but to build you up. Now, both of these words in the original language, to, to build up, to edify, and to destroy, literally come from, in those days, Greek construction. The one word was if we were building an edifice, a building, and the other word is if we were doing demolition and knocking it down. Two opposite extremes. However, if we look at Jeremiah 1.10, sadly, sometimes an old, and we see this in a construction application today, sometimes in order to build on a plot of, of land, if the building's that dilapidated, Instead of building on top of it, you've got to knock the structure down and start all over again. So you see those applications there that he speaks of. And, you know, he may have been a little, maybe in the Corinthian church, he might have been a little, listen, I know you guys are destined for greater things, and he might have been, he wasn't going to let up on them. 
And it didn't mean that he didn't like them. Sometimes even in ministry, I may be harder on someone because I know they have great potential, that the Lord is really using them. And, 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 and you know, it's something that they need to remove from their lives to grow, right? Verse 11, the last few verses. He says, finally, brethren, farewell. Become complete. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. This completes two books, First and Second Corinthians, that we've been through over the last maybe year. But let's take these words apart. To become complete, that word means to mend, as if a broken bone was set to build stronger than it was before. And there was a book on shepherding, and it's true, shepherds do this. When they have a sheep that's constantly getting away, <laughs> constantly getting in trouble, so that the sheep doesn't be overtaken by a predator, sometimes the shepherds will break their legs, one or two legs, and then the sheep can't walk. Sounds really cruel. But then the shepherd will get underneath the sheep, put it over its, like the firemen carry, and carry that sheep everywhere it goes with those broken legs while they heal. But as the sheep is learning two things, number one, it's, it's, it's regaining its strength, the bones are, are healing, but at the same time, it's also learning to be close to the shepherd. It's a training exercise. So be complete. The Bible's clear. We can either fall on the Son of God and be broken, and that's a good thing. We all need to be broken. I need to be broken, all right? And then when I get back up, the Lord heals me stronger than I was before spiritually. Or it says the Son of God, the cornerstone, can fall on you and grind you to powder. There's not much you can do if you've been ground into powder. You're done. It's better to fall and be broken and, and come to Jesus Christ and, and be mended than to completely go wayward and go apostate and there's nothing, nothing left for you. Two, be of good comfort. This is a supernatural comfort that only God can give. Right? Three, be of one mind, the mind of Christ. And, and also of each other in Christ. And that's where we have, like, when we do communion, when we uh, observe communion, we're all remembering individually what Jesus did for us, but we're also doing it corporately. We have a vertical relationship going on during communion, and we also have a horizontal uh, relationship. It's happening in two planes. Pretty neat. Four, live in peace. Act peaceful with God and with others. And that's a little bit more difficult, Right? There's a, um, I don't know who, I actually Googled it, I, I heard it, but I can't, I don't know who said it. There's a little like um, saying, it says, to be with saints in heaven above, oh, what a glory. But to be with saints in earth below, now that's another story. <laughs> right? But this is, keen, this is really neat, and as we look through what the Apostle Paul did, I wonder if anyone ever came to him and said, you know what, just give up on those people, man, they're just not worth it. I'm sure at some point someone said that to him, but you really got to love his tenacity. You really got to love his stick to itedness. You really got to love someone who, when God calls them to do something, no matter what, they're going to they're gonna follow him. Even if it, there's a lot of tough missions, especially if you, you've talked to some of the missionaries, especially in countries where they're being persecuted. We have a family that we support in Afghanistan, and I get their emails. It's rough mission field. You know what's going on with the whole war on terror. And just imagine they're in Kabul, right? And they experience, they see the explosions and things like that happening. It's a tough missions field. And I remember one of the missionaries sent me an email and I encouraged that person. Uh, they actually were really struggling 
with their walk and their faith. And it was cool because we had a discussion and then uh, a few weeks later the person emailed me back and was, they felt completely restored that the Lord ministered to them. That's a tough missions field, right? That really takes uh, guts. And last verse, verse 14, is that Trinitarian benediction, those last words. Now, it's kind of funny because the Bible doesn't use the word Trinity, but we see the Trinity here. It doesn't matter where it's being described. Trinity comes from Trinitas in the Latin. The Bible also doesn't say rapture. It comes from rapturo in the, in the Latin. But we see the Lord pulling his church and his believers at some point in time. We covered that, I think, last week. Uh, but what we have here is a few things. Number one, he says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How did Jesus Christ show us grace? Well, he was the one who decided to come to the earth and leave his heaven, heavenly throne and become into the form of a man, fully God and fully man, and die for our sins. Okay, so definitely, if nothing else good happens in our life, the grace to be able to stand in God's presence and, and fellowship and communion with him for eternity, that, that's certainly a lot of grace. That's unmerited favor. So you have the Son. Number two, and the love of God. What's the love of God? John 3.16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He sacrificed his son. It seems like almost the only point in history ever in eternity that the father and the son were separated, right? He gave his son for us. And three, the communion of the Holy Spirit. We can have, it was said, we can have as much of the Holy Spirit as we desire. He resides in us. And sometimes we don't take advantage of that. But at the end of the day, what's it all for? Let's wrap this up. Let's talk about our present situation. What's it all for? The expanded parking, you know? <laughs> right? What's so funny about that? <laughs> Was it the way I said it? Um, the back room possibly blowing it out if we, if we grow, or possibly going to two services, or getting the, the community in here, or doing the children's ministry, or redoing the stage for worship, and lions and tigers and bears, oh my right? What's it all for? Can, just call it out. Go ahead. Start calling it. What is it all for? Why do we do it? Okay. Some good answers there. What do we do it for? To not lose focus. We don't allow the building and the ministry and what could happen here to become the God and the idol. It is all subservient to what? To bringing people closer to the Lord, right? That's what it is. All this stuff, equipment and building and lights and different things and guitars. What's it all for? It's for people to come in. Well, first of all, the Bible's clear, Ephesians 4, that the church, the body of believers, are to be built up in the word, that they receive uh, spiritual meat, those who are mature, and they, and they assimilate it and, and bring it into their lives so they can defend their faith, so they can know why they believe what they believe. First Peter tells us that. But it's also to, for us mature believers to grow, and then to be sent out and disciple others, right? To tell people about the good news, to tell people about Jesus, to tell people it doesn't matter what you did in your life, God knows it. But he's also provided a way for you to get to heaven. He's provided his son. So why do we do it? We do it to, because we love people. We want to bring them into the kingdom. We want them to know how easy it is to turn from their self-directed lifestyles and uh, turn to walking with the Lord. And that's pretty simple. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord,